The transfiguration happens in Mark chapter 9, the gospel reading that was just read to you, just before Mark 9 becomes Mark 8. And in Mark 8, there is a special prediction that Jesus makes. Speaking of prediction, my daughter Addison, who is in sixth grade, said to me yesterday, Dad, do you want to hear my prediction for who will win the Super Bowl? The big game today. I said, yes, I do. This ought to be good. And guess what? It was. She said, the Chiefs are going to win so that Travis Kelsey can propose to Taylor Swift. (laughs) But then she adds this, but I want the 49ers to win. And isn't that how we all feel? Pastor Brandt, don't worry. I know you were concerned about this. Taylor Swift made it from Tokyo to Los Angeles private flight yesterday from her show. So she, she did her concert. She's fine. She's overseas. She's here. And she's going to be at the Super Bowl game today. So, yeah. So we're good there. Better prediction. Incredible prediction. Jesus is with the disciples and Peter. Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to be handed over to the chief priests and teachers of the law, be killed, and three days later rise again. Peter misunderstands, is mistaken, isn't quite sure what to make of this information that he's received, and so he tries to kind of hush Jesus about this, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. After this righteous rebuke, the ministry moves on. Six days later, though, Mark chapter 9 happens. And instead of keeping Peter in time out, Jesus takes Peter, along with James and John, a smaller group of the disciples, and takes them to a mountain takes them up a mountain. What kind of mountain? A very high mountain. And he's going to reveal something special about himself. Something that he's told the disciples. Something that he showed them in different ways. But this is going to be a unique way. It's going to be a majestic, marvelous, and miraculous moment for Peter, James, and John as Jesus is going to be transfigured before them. And so there they are. It's Jesus, it's Peter, it's James and John. They're up on a high mountain and Jesus changes before their eyes. He is transformed, transfigured. His face, the other gospels tell us, shines bright like the sun. His clothes become white. How white? Dazzling white. Whiter than anyone could bleach them, says Mark. And this is an amazing sight for them to behold. Jesus is changed before their very eyes. But that's not all. As if that weren't enough, all of the sudden, there's Moses and there's Elijah to the right and to the left of the Lord. Moses, the intercessor, the prophet, the one who would prefigure Jesus Christ being that intercessor between God and humanity. Elijah, the prophet, speaking truth to power, and calling people to repentance in preparation for this coming king, 
for this promised Savior, for this Messiah, the Anointed One, who would restore God's people. And Jesus in the middle, the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the prophecy, the one who would come to save his people from their sins. Jesus is there. Moses is there. Elijah is there. And it's all Peter can do to keep himself together. Peter, as we know, sometimes speaks before he thinks, sometimes acts before he speaks before he thinks. And in right fashion, Peter responds. Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now the scriptures indicate that he wasn't quite sure what to say, maybe what to do, because they were terrified. They were overwhelmed with this appearance of Jesus and also Moses and Elijah. And yet, this move by Peter might have made some sense when we consider that Peter is a Jewish guy, raised in a Jewish area, and he's familiar with the festivals and the feasts of the Jewish year. One of those is the festival of booths. And in the festival of booths, what folks would do is make a little makeshift tent, a little tabernacle as it were, and they would stay in there for about a week. And they would celebrate and they would commemorate God's provision and protection of his people during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They would remember the crossing of the Red Sea, manna in the morning, quail in the evening, and God protecting the Israelites and God delivering them from slavery in that Exodus event, led by Moses, of course. And so could it be that Peter, in his heart and mind, was thinking, hey, this would be a good place to tabernacle, to hang out, to reflect, to remember, to pray, and to worship. Because not only do we have Jesus, but we also have Moses and Elijah. So it was a generous offer for Peter to make. But it wasn't time for that. And Jesus had other plans. As if Jesus weren't enough, Moses and Elijah weren't enough, that's overwhelming enough for Peter, James, and John. All of a sudden, a cloud envelops them. High upon this mountain. And a voice coming from the cloud. Who's the voice? Yes, God, more specifically. God the Father, first person of the Trinity. Okay, yes. This voice comes and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Where have we heard this voice before? Sorry, I didn't get that. <laughs> yes, Jesus' baptism. Jesus is in the Jordan River. John the Baptist, Jesus' relative, is there. And as Jesus is baptizing, comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends and alights on Jesus in the form of a dove. And then that voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Very good. So, similar voice, same voice, just a little bit different language here. This is my beloved son, listen to him. God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, is affirming who this Jesus is. He is God's son. And if you're God's son, you are God. And if you are God, you can do stuff other people can't do. You can heal people, you can exercise demons, you can, you can feed people with loaves and fish. You can bring dead people back to life. You can die for the sins of humanity and come back to life 
demonstrating your power and authority over sin, death, and Satan forever. And you can give eternal life to those who would receive it and believe it and place their hope and trust in you. That's what you can do when you're God's son. And God the Father is saying, this is my son. He's the one you've been waiting for. He is Messiah. He is Christ. He is the promised Savior of the Old Testament. Fellas, listen to him. There's Jesus transfigured. Moses and Elijah on either side. The cloud, the voice, and all of a sudden, just Jesus. No Moses, no Elijah, no cloud, no voice. Just Jesus. Peter, James, and John are face down on the ground at this particular time. The other gospels inform us. Jesus lifts up their countenance, gives them peace, and then refocuses them. They're not going to stay on the mountain. They're going to go down the mountain to continue Jesus' mission of seeking and saving the lost. And then Jesus says, we're not going to talk about this until I have risen from the dead. Just Jesus revealing himself to his people, giving them peace, and then reminding them that there's still work to do. Just Jesus. For Peter, James, and John, just Jesus. For you and for me. Reminding us of who he is as the true son of God and the savior of the world. Reminding us that even sometimes when we are mistaken, when we misunderstand, that God is still with us and for us and will help us by his Holy Spirit, especially as we spend time in God's word, he will continue to reveal himself to us and assure us of our faith. This Jesus, not only forgiving us for the times when we misunderstand or make mistakes, but also forgiving us for the times when we sin, we're selfish, we revel in our shortcomings, and then we try to wash those sins out of ourselves, trying to make us white as white can be. But God reminding us through his word, through that law that comes by that word, that we cannot wash our own clothes and make them white. There's no bleach strong enough to make that happen. It can only happen in the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It can only happen in a relationship of truth and trust with Christ. He is the one who can forgive your sins and mine. He is the one whose holiness, purity, and perfection, whose righteousness covers us so completely, so fully, that when God the Father looks down at us, he doesn't see us sin-soaked and struggling as we are, mistaken and misunderstanding as we can be sometimes. He looks down at us and he sees the righteousness, purity, and perfection of his son. He sees us as if we are shining like the sun and our clothes are dazzling white, whiter than anyone on earth could bleach them. Why? Because someone not of this earth has come to the earth to be our savior and he's done the bleaching for us. His life perfectly lived, his sacrificial death on the cross and his miraculous resurrection on Easter Sunday morning, securing for us salvation. The opportunity to be in the presence of God forever because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Just Jesus. 
Friends, there is no longer any veil between us and the Lord, no longer any separation. You don't have to come through a prophet or priest or pastor to have your prayers heard by the Lord. You can go directly to God because of Jesus. There's no longer any rites or rituals that must be performed in a certain way so that you'll be acceptable before the Lord. Because of Jesus, he offers you his gospel gifts in baptism. The water applied, the word creates the power and the promises of God are bestowed to little Marlo and to us. There's no longer any separation between the things of God and his people. We come and receive the true body of Jesus, the true blood of Jesus, as Jesus comes to us in the sacrament, infusing every moment of meaning, of history with meaning. Jesus says, do this as often as you eat and drink it. Remember my sacrifice in the past. Eat this bread, drink this wine. Receive my body and blood in the present until I come again in the future. Jesus offering himself to you and to me once again to remind us that we belong to him, to assure us that our sins are forgiven, and then to overwhelm us, not with his brilliance or dazzling whiteness, but to overwhelm us with his grace and mercy so that no matter what mistakes we make, no matter what misunderstandings we used to have, no matter what sins and shortcomings we struggle with, we're reminded that God still loves us and he's prepared a place for us and Jesus Christ has made that possible. Just Jesus in baptism, just Jesus in his word, just Jesus in his supper for you. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, using this metaphor of light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That face that shone like the sun to Peter, James, and John. That face that welcomes you and me here today to receive the blessings of life and salvation in baptism, in word, in sacrament. And we get to respond with our lives that are dedicated in service to him and to each other. Friends, what a beautiful thing it is, this transfiguration of our Lord. And what a beautiful opportunity he has given to you and to me to come and receive him. Just as we are. So that we can be transformed in our hearts and minds and lives. And have that eternal perspective, that of Jesus Christ our Lord. May God continue to grant it for you and for me, for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. amen.